Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm a fucking field mouse. And I'm Super Brawl Shane. Welcome to episode 112, Super Brawl 4. Woo! There is no escape from the revenge and rage in the thunder cage? Oh, I... I don't have my usual printed script as usual, so I wasn't even looking for that. I forgot about that. The last show didn't have a tagline, so I was like, oh, wait, do I have it? So, I'm, you know. Oops. Put a question mark on the end of that. In the Thunder Game? It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> this was the fourth annual Super Brawl produced by the WCW. It would take place on February 20th, 1994 from the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia, with an attendance of 7,600 people. 7,600. Still hitting those uh, WCW numbers. But not for long. Yeah, they might hit a few more the next time we talk about them. Yeah, perhaps. Oh, I'm scared for that day. (laughs) (laughs) I have been for quite a while. And will continue to be until it's over. Yeah. But we're not there yet. I know. But we are in Georgia. We are. Shane, what deliciousness did you bring us this week? Oh, Georgia. It's been a little bit since we've been down here. It's been on my mind. Mm. Well, you know, Georgia is known for uh, lots of stuff. Try to remember, we've done some fried green tomato stuff, some peach stuff, uh, pimento cheese. But what they are also known for, aside from peaches, they are one of the top three blueberry-producing states in the nation. Mmm, blues. Um... So yeah, their 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 blueberries are choice, choice. Yes, they they're in the top three. They are the the Taz of the fruit world. Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Matt's yeah. Uh, third favorite recipe. Still throw back. back. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, months ago during the uh, start of the Great Georgia Food Search. Matt and I stumbled upon a picture of this little breakfast sandwich that had just kept calling out to me over the last couple months and figured, why the hell not? Let's do it. So it is the Blazin' Blueberry Breakfast Sandwich from Milady Bakery in Tifton, Georgia. I actually uh, one night decided to do a midnight, 2 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning online purchase for some uh, Wisham Jellies. It's a Georgia-based company. This is what they actually use on the breakfast sandwich at uh, Milady. So I decided, what the hell, we're going to give this a try. And I got this one, I got a cranberry one. Ooh, that sounds neat. And then I got one that was an apple fig. Hmm. So yeah, I'm excited to try those. One of them sounds good on toast, one of them sounds good just like pouring over some cream cheese and eating it with crackers. Oh, nice. Um, but this sandwich at Milady, it is a... Uh, Served on toasted sourdough, comes with some apple smoked bacon, 
some breakfast sausage patties, a little pepper jack cheese, and then just a, a good healthy hearty schmear of this uh, Wisham Blazing Blueberry Pepper Jelly. Yeah, it's kind of hits the spot. It, it would go good with an egg, but it's also just pretty damn tasty by itself. Delicious even with that? Uh, an egg would be like almost overkill. Almost. Yeah, I just ate a half of one of those, and I'm just like, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to talk. And even though this jelly, it's a you know you said it's a blueberry pepper jelly. Like you get a little some of the heat like in the back of your throat, like as, yeah after, but it's it's not a it says blazing, but I, I don't yeah. even feel like it's it's not. I I, I could have I would have liked for it to be a little hotter, although I did. Have a little bit of the, like a just a jelly bite, and it was hotter that way. All the like salt and fat in the bacon and sausage probably uh, pull that down a little bit. That's possible. It says on here, blueberries and peppers bursting with flavor makes this jelly a staple for the kitchen. Add a few scoops as a last minute glaze for pork chops, steak, mm. or pork tenderloin. Mm. That'd be really good. Be really good. Absolutely. Um, try serving with. Just plain on baked brioche or baked brioche, baked brie. All that's with crackers and apple slices. Yeah, Wisham gets my uh, stamp of approval. Hell yeah! It's the first product I've uh, bought from Georgia that I mailed off for, so I'm not uh, the first purchased the product you mailed off for for the show, right? Yes. All right. So you know, bring it. I was a little uh, other places, a little wine drunk and a little smoky, and I figured, what the hell? Let's. Uh, Buy some sweet stuff you, online. You probably take some of that with some barbecue sauce, put it in your slow cooker with your little Smokies. That would be pretty delicious. <laughs> yeah. And it's you know, they do the grape jelly, the grape jelly barbecue little Smokies. And get the blueberry blazers. While they're finishing up their delicious sandwiches, something else that happened right around the same time as this show, Beck would hit the airwaves with his single Loser. Ah, a oh. week after this show. Oh, delay. It's like, he's got albums before that, but this is the first, like, major label one. Incorrect. There's a Loser, major label one Loser is not on Odelay. Was it just a straight single? No, it was on his album on Mellow Gold. Oh, yeah, it's Mellow Gold and then Odelay, Jesus Christ. Because yeah. before that, it's like one foot in the grave and, like, something, something soul manure. Yeah. I had a friend that was really into Beck, so... Yes, I, I know first, some of that stuff. Two and a half albums are very experimental rock. Is that when he rolls into where it's at? That's Odelay. That's Odelay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's when it becomes more radio friendly. Yes. Like, Loser is really his only radio friendly song in his first three albums. Yeah, my favorite Beck album is the funk one, Midnight Vultures. I'm not like the biggest Beck fan, but that's my favorite of the releases uh, just because I like funk music. That's yeah. all my Beck take. You're all about that funk. Actually, one of my uh, favorite concerts, I've, I've seen Beck twice. I saw him once at a festival where he was the headliner, which yeah. was a super fun day. Because literally I found like four or five other bands that I really enjoyed because of that. But um, I actually won tickets to go to this solo show down in Dallas. And it was literally him and his guitar player. Oh, wow. Playing guitar. And playing songs weird and it was like right after i think midnight vultures okay so this is a while ago yeah so it's like yeah 99 2000 2001 era yeah like, and, and your sister i think her name's deborah 
And like people kept chanting for loser. And yeah. he was like, yeah, I'm not playing that shit tonight. <laughs> yeah. And, but he finally like, uh, he actually played like the first three notes and people like were like, Ooh. Oh, yeah. And then he went into a Britney Spears song. <laughs> oh, wow. Just to fuck with yeah, that's pretty was, funny. But the concert was like, it was great. Because it, it was like this small theater, maybe like 300 people. At oh, most. wow. That's like, cool. So I, it was really cool. I saw him one time with my friend who was uh, a big uh, Beck fan. And it was pretty cool. The, like, it was kind of a neat stage show because, like, the whole band, you know, you can see the whole band or whatever. But then instead of, you know, they do the screens at bigger shows. Yeah. And so you can see better if you got nosebleeds or whatever and get more intimate vibe since it's not a fucking punk show or a show with 300 people in it and instead they had somebody or maybe a group of people doing a marionette of the whole band like on a thing and the camera was only on that the whole time so they were like in acting out what the band was doing for the whole show and that was the only thing they put on the screens which i thought was a really fun idea fun. and i was like i think that was my favorite part of the show like i said i like Beck, fine. I don't have any like real strong opinions. I think Midnight Vultures is really interesting, and he's written plenty of good songs. But you know, it never really wormed my way into his heart in any meaningful way. But that show is like okay, that's a really clever and fun way to do a stage show that's not overcomplicated, and you know, you get a little bit of a little bit of theater. Yeah, but it's the whole show. It wasn't like, and it wasn't. Yeah, it was weird. It was cool. <laughs> Okay, feelings about Beck, Shane? I was never the biggest fan. I mean, when uh, Odalay came out, I was working at Blockbuster, and Blockbuster Music was big at the time, so oh, we wow. had... Uh, so you brought out the, broke out the two turntables and a microphone? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Remember the yeah, Blockbuster bo- uh, little review books? Actually, I take that back. Wait, yeah. Odalay was. I was at Blockbuster. I had to think of that timeline there. Loser, I was still in high school. Yeah, we were... Rolling into the grunge era, or it was starting to reach its uh, peak. Its peak. Its pinnacle. Huh. I I I liked Beck. I I dug Odalay a little more. I liked the album from a couple years ago that I can't think of right now. Is it Cycle. Oh yeah. I think uh, the last one I really listened to. Well, I can't remember the name of it. So it doesn't matter. I don't but it was the it one was... on the tour that I went to because my buddy was blasting it all the time and we were hanging out a lot. So I heard it. I knew it front and back. I don't think it was necessarily album of the year Grammy worthy, but it was still a good album. Sea Change is a fan favorite. I like Sea Change, all right, but I'm all about I'm all about the Midnight Vultures. I, I always look forward to his albums coming out, and usually there's a half dozen songs or so. It's pretty know, good. At least three to four songs on every album that I'm like, okay, I I really dig this, and then there's some that I'm just like, yeah, all right, cool. But I always I always look forward to a Beck album coming yeah. out. But what I'm really looking forward to... Super Bowl Four. Exactly. Okay, cool. We get highlight video with shots of all the title championship contenders before talking about the Thunder Cage. It's Double Thunder Cage! Double Thunder... At first, second, I thought it was like, remember that one thing where they had the cage on yeah. top of the cage on top of the cage? Uh, I was like, a Double Thunder Cage? What? It's like, oh, we're getting two Thunder Cage matches. I was okay. flashing back to, was it Halloween, Halloween Havoc with the electric chair? Mm, yeah, this yeah. is the same cage, the same style of cage, yes. and probably the same actual cage. <laughs> we get video of Vader destroying a locker room, 
and then flares running steps in the arena and working out in a gym. Uh, I love his. I love his um, like arena work, arena workout, and it's like oh, not it's not very sweating. impressive. Yeah, I'm not breathing. I'm not even breathing. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> he's got the you know the classic early '90s like turquoise, purple, and white uh, stuff. It's As I good. wrote on here, sweating with the oldies. Because mm-hmm. yeah, he's. I mean, he's not. Flares old, looked, old, feel, it feels like Flair's looked 40 since the old. first arcade. Yeah. Like, in a weird way. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show and is joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Ah, so happy. Welcome so happy. back. You're so happy even though it means that Jesse's no longer... I'm okay with it. I love... I love the favorite the last few times. I love Jesse and Tony, but... We'll see that Tony and Bobby is about as good as a replacement as you're gonna get. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't silence the weasel for too long. No, it's, it's wrong. It's cruelty on the world. Yeah, it's animal cruelty. Let the, weasel, let the weasel cruelty, speak. It's cruelty on us. Yeah. yeah, we want him. They preview the show, and Bobby predicts a new world champion. Ooh, I feel some uh, animosity between him and Mister Flair. Tony tells us that the boss will be the special guest referee in the world title match. And Heenan calls him Big Ol' Southern Sal. Yep. Bobby already hitting right off the top. B-O-S-S, Big Ol' Southern Sal. It's great. Shivani then tells us a match has been added to the show, telling us about how Johnny B. Bad and Michael P.S. Hayes had teamed up on a WCW Worldwide. And they show us highlights from that match. And we see Hayes sucker punch bad instead of making a tag mm. to set up their match. It's not very nice. Michael, 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 what the hell? We then go to our first match. Johnny B. Bad versus Michael P.S. Hayes with Jimmy Garvin. Oh, yeah, we got the bad comes out. He's got the bad blaster doing his, doing his thing. And then P.S. Hayes comes out. In a wheelchair with a secret pushed, service agent. Pushed, pushed by a Jimmy Garvin, who doesn't quite look like the Jimmy Garvin we remember. No. Well, he's a he's not my Garvin. He's a pilot now. Uh-huh, yeah. Just so we have it on record. Yes. We haven't seen Michael Hayes since Halloween Havoc 92, which was episode 76, and Jimmy Garvin since Great American Bash 92, which was episode 71. Yeah, it's been almost... Probably a full year for Garvin and close to it for, close enough for, I mean, yeah, even yeah, over a full year for both these guys. Yeah. Crazy. Where they been? AWA? Well, Garvin really went off to yeah. be a pilot. He retired. And Hayes has just kind of been, I think he went off to Dallas and did some things there, but kind of just. Yeah, floating. Floating around a little bit. But since Hayes is in that wheelchair. All of a sudden, Mean Gene and Nick Bockwinkle, who's the new commissioner of WCW, come out. We haven't seen Nick since Slamboree 93, which was episode 90. And Oakland asks P.S., hey, what's going on? And Hayes butters up Bockwinkle before telling him he fell down some stairs. But Garvin yells out that he slipped on a banana peel. <laughs> he must have been in a match with Bastion Booger on the undercard of a WWF house show or something. And Mean Gene picks up that those stories don't really match up. Oh, yeah. Calls him out on it. Quick one there, that Gene. Mm-hmm. And Hayes says he's injured and cannot wrestle. 
Mean Gene asks for a doctor's note. So Garvin searches his pockets for it and finally hands it to Bachwinkle. Michael's saying he wishes he could get in that ring to fight Johnny B. Bad. And then Jimmy chimes in that he wants to do the same. So Bachwinkle <laughs> states that the legal team have been combing over all the contracts. And then there is one that still states that the Freebirds are a unit. On the contract, boys. Jimmy Garvin chimes in that he is retired. But Nick says that if Hayes can't compete, then Jimmy must step into the ring or they will be fined and suspended indefinitely. Uh, where's Bad Street when you need him? I know, we're getting a, a big angle to start the show. <laughs> but at least, you know, Hayes is great at being a gigantic ass. So it's not like somebody out there that, that uh, can't draw the heat. So Bachwinkle tells him, hey, you don't, you're in a suit. You don't have wrestling gear on. We'll let you go to the back. We'll let you borrow some gear, and we'll have the match later. And we go to Tony and Heenan, and they talk about what just happened. And the brain seems flabbergasted at it. He's stumbling over his words. <laughs> Jaw agape. But we then go to our second match. Harlem Heat of Kane and Cole. Versus Thunder and Lightning. Really? And as always, I will refer to Kane and Cole as Stevie Ray and Booker T from this point forward. Yeah, and Thunder and Lightning as uh, Bobby Heenan would like us to refer to them as Batman and Robin. Yes. Lightning would be come to be better known as NWO Sting. Mm. He's the fake Sting. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully you got paid off that well, one. I'm equally as impressed with him as Lightning as I was... NWO Sting. Fake Sting. <laughs> and what about Thunder? Does he just disappear, never come back anymore? No clue. Uh, he, yeah, he's kind of, he's he's exactly what, like, lightning you can see. Thunder, Thunder you cannot. Can't hear him. <laughs> yeah. All you can do is hear him. <laughs> yeah, all you can do is hear him. So I'm just trying to figure out. Are they he becomes a, he be, yeah, he becomes a crowd member. American Gladiators route here just because it was popular at the time? No, or is this just likely. their really, really bad tag team name? I mean, you can't imagine they're going to win, right? That's what my thought was. Thunder and Lightning? I don't know. We've, I mean, seen, we've seen... Firebreaker. Remember, remember. This is like the last... Booger, Booger T's lost to Shockmaster yeah, twice. I, I was going to say Tugboat because I couldn't think of Shockmaster. Yeah, Thunder and Lightning is like Firebreaker, Chip, and fucking... Todd Champion. Todd Champion. Todd Champion is still a great name, though. It's so dumb. I love but it. Firebreaker Chip is the only one that you remember. <laughs> yeah, I know, because it's, so, it's so bad. So Lightning and Booker T started off with lots of back and forth until a hip toss, drop kick, and arm drag by Lightning to gain control. And immediately I feel like Harlem Heat is already on a new level. They just feel better. Just think, they could have had the perfect theme song like 30 years later. Imagine Dragons, like they wrote the song just for them. (laughs) Can we get a redo? No, no more Imagine Dragons, please. (laughs) Thunder comes in with an elbow drop, only for Booker to fight back to hit a scoop slam and make the tag. Stevie Ray's beating on Thunder when Thunder hits a leaping shoulder block, followed by Lightning coming in with a double axe handle. Stevie Ray is able to make a tag after a body slam, but Booker T runs into a shot to the gut, followed by a Thunder knee lift for a two count. Thunder. There's the thunder. Another body slam, but Thunder goes to run the ropes, only for Stevie Ray to hit a forearm to the back allowing Booker to clothesline Thunder over the ropes to the floor. 
Stevie Ray runs Thunder into the guardrail before rolling him back in. And Harlem Heat then hits some double-team moves to gain control. A clothesline from Stevie Ray. Booger T with a leaping forearm smash. Tony then sends us to picture-in-picture picture inside Ric Flair's dressing room, where the Nature Boy, Arn Anderson, and Ricky Steamboat sit to prepare for the title match later in the evening. Back to the match, and Thunder hits a sunset flip, but Booker is able to make a tag as he is falling. So Stevie Ray comes in with a double axe handle across the back for a two count. Body slam by Stevie. Booker T comes off the top rope, only to miss an elbow drop allowing Thunder to make the hot tag. Lightning takes on both members of Harlem Heat with a body slam, drop kick, belly to belly on Booker. The heavy miss of this drop kick. And makes the cover, only for Stevie Ray to break it up. Thunder comes in to brawl with Stevie Ray, but the ref gets in between them to force Thunder back to his corner, while Lightning hits an O'Connor roll on Booker which Stevie then just kicks Lightning in the head, <laughs> allowing Booker T to make the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. Glad to see Harlem Heat get over on one. Uh, I do like that they're they're looking better as a team. They're, they have their exuding confidence and very cunning. And They just have stupid names still. Yeah. They do have stupid names <laughs> still. I mean, Kane and Cole better than Thunder and Lightning, so... Yes. Mean Jeans in the back outside Flair's dressing room, which I'm going to point out right now, is also next to Vader's dressing room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But cops are standing guard to keep peace. And I'm just like, or you could just put their locker rooms on opposite sides of the building to help this. It's easier for the camera guys. What I said. What you said. <laughs> But then we're headed to our third match. The Equalizer versus Jungle, Jim, Steel. Wait, uh, who versus who? You heard me. At least Jungle Jim's in hot off those ropes. He's happy to be here. As he should be. And then there's the Equalizer. He's, he was there. Mm-hmm, a turd with arms and legs. <laughs> Multiple arm drags by Steel to get us going, but Equalizer comes back with four arms across the back and head slams into turnbuckles, only for Jungle Jim to return the favor with a couple of his own. Jungle Jim. And Jungle like, Jim. Literally, I was G looking at his... G-Y-M, Jungle Jim. I mean, it's spelled J-I-M, but Jungle Jim. Sorry. I was looking at his outfit, and I was just like, or his gear, mm -hmm. and I'm just like, they have to say that he's Snooka's son, right? Like, that's that's what he looks like. Yeah, that's... Did they actually say it, though? No. I don't know. I don't, but I'm just yeah. like... That's what they're doing. They're like, okay, it's kind of like... I feel like that's what... I was like, that's what they're trying to go for here, right? Yeah. The gimmick's just way too close. I mean, is this... It's better than uh, Charlie I was Norris. I say, is Charlie Norris still around? Did no, I doubt it. Away? I highly doubt it. <laughs> he got two pay-per-views. Good not. for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hope he made it last. Hope he invested in uh, Apple. Jungle Jim. Drop kick by Steel. Irish whip and goes for a monkey flip. But the equalizer holds on to slam Jungle Jim to the mat. Followed by stomps and a body slam. I do love that uh, Bobby says that he really likes the fur on Jungle uh, Jim's shoes. Uh, he asks if they're hair Jordans. <laughs> Bobby <pretty> fucking fires. <laughs> always on, Always on fire. Equalizer with a leg drop before tossing Steel to the floor. 
following out to hit a clothesline and ram Jungle Jim back first into the ring apron. Back in the ring, Steel is taken down with a backbreaker and placed into a bear hug, but escapes with an ear clap. Equalizer staying on the attack, only for Jungle Jim to come off the ropes with a crucifix pin for a two count. Equalizer slams Steel's head into the turnbuckle, rakes his eyes across the ropes, but Jungle Jim fires up, only to run into a big boot for a two count. Again, the Equalizer tosses Steel to the floor and continuously kicks him as he's trying to get back into the ring. Jungle Jim finally makes it back in to hit a shoulder block, slams the Equalizer's head into a turnbuckle, oh no. hits an atomic drop and a drop kick before coming off the ropes with a clothesline and a steel trap, <laughs> a.k.a. the Fez Press. Yeah. For the pin... And, and the win. Steel Trap, not a terrible name if you're going to try to rename the Fez Press. It's like, yeah, see where you're going. There are some interesting things here that Bobby brings about. Uh, he brings up seeing Hogan at Disney while uh, shooting Thunder in Paradise. And all I could say was, no, not yet. Don't do it to me yet. He says that he tried to get some stuff out of Hogan, but he just blew his... Uh, Hogan was honking his own horn and turned down the question. Appreciate the the shade on the red and yellow. Also, there's a fun thing they do here where Tony, like whenever Bobby just says, like in this match, he says uh, suggests that Jungle Jim uses uh, his thumb and just drives it into the socket of the equalizer. We get the beautiful commentator camera where Tony just like looks back at the camera to the crowd and is like. What's the matter with this guy? <laughs> and I think that they go to the well a lot, but it never stops being funny to me. It was very entertaining. <laughs> yes, I like that. Mean Jeans in on the stage to hype up the hotline. Do we? Uh, they tell us the number. I was like, well, should we call it? 909, I know. Yeah, I know. We, it's, not, it's not going to matter if we call it. Don't call it. We won't. It's not is available it, anymore. It's a sexy line? I don't know. Oh, okay. The way you were saying that, I was like, oh, maybe Matt called in on the sexy line. <laughs> Explain it to his wife. So I was calling, trying to call Mean Gene. I don't know if <laughs> numbers actually go through anymore. Mm, I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Not going to try. I'm on a company no, yeah. phone, so I don't want to try out yeah. I already have enough grief from when I used all the company data when I went to Cancun years ago. <laughs> Oakland's then joined by Nick Bockwinkle and Ricky Steamboat. And the Dragon has challenged the winner of the title match. And WCW has granted that request. I love that Ricky says he's gone through a lot of red tape. And I was like, your wife's name is Red Tape? <laughs> With Ricky just always here and gone and here and gone. You just know that he's getting an earful from his wife. But doesn't she want him to win the gold? Make the, make the champions money? I don't know. But yeah, Ricky Steamboat and Red Tape and the little boat. We don't see him a lot. Mean Gene then brings up the security in the back again, with Ricky agreeing that it is thick back there. He's just talking about uh, the stench of Vader. <laughs> and then we're off to our fourth match. Diamond Dallas Page with Diamond Doll? He's one of his Diamond Dolls. One of them. Yeah, they don't even give him names. Versus Terry Taylor. Now, the last time we saw DDP was at Clash 21, episode 78. Been a while. And everything that I've read is that the Diamond Doll is Kimberly. This was not her. Batgirl does not look like Kimberly. No, that wasn't her. 
Maybe we'll see. Her. I'm sure we'll see her soon. Yeah, yeah but... she was not in town this night. They got a. Uh, they went to a Dolls R Us for this Diamond Doll. Tony tells us that Paige had been pulling names out of a fishbowl to be his opponent lately. But they always seem to be retired or not in WCW. I know Z-Man, and when they said Z-Man, I just I just pouted a little bit. I was like, but I miss the Z-Man. But like you said, Z-Man mm-hmm. and now Terry Taylor would challenge him. They're all standing in the ring, and DDP would place the doll in between him and Taylor before what? shoving her into Terry. What a heel. Allowing him to kick Taylor, but Terry catches it and spins him around to deliver several right hands. DDP is thick. I forgot how big he was back then. Like, he just looked sturdy. Yeah. Like, not fat. He's just like, he looks like a fucking bouncer. Yeah, he was like 275, 280 pounds, something like that is Uh, what they had said. uh, He's... He's a tall man. I always forget how tall he is. Yeah. Or was. I mean, you know, you shrink when you get older. Uh, I don't care what DDPY s- says it will do for you. It won't let you gain inches. Not that way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, maybe <laughs> I should look kick. into DDPY. <laughs> <laughs> Hook kick and a pump handle driver for a two count by Taylor before going to work on Paige's arm. Locks on a cross arm breaker, but DDP makes it to the ropes and slides out to the floor. Back in the ring, Terry stays on the arm until the two go through a seesaw roll-up sequence full of two counts. Yeah, Bobby, of course, can't get enough. Can't keep his eyes off the diamond doll. Of course not. Bright like a diamond. Who can? I, I mean, I don't know. She's no Fifi. Who is it? I can never get enough Fifi. Paige comes back with a back elbow, slams Taylor's head into the turnbuckle, and hits a suplex, followed by a gut buster but takes too long to cover, so only a two-count. DDP starts choking Terry, hits a back suplex for another two-count, before applying a Cobra Clutch. Taylor escapes momentarily, only for Paige to hit a clothesline for a near fall. DDP goes to a chin lock, which Terry back suplexes out of, hits a drop kick, but then telegraphs a back body drop to be face-planted, allowing Paige to go back to the chin lock. Terry... Escapes again to hit a crossbody for a two count, but DDP pops him right as he gets to his feet. Oh, that big close right. It looked awesome. He then spears Terry into the corner and tries for a second one, only for Terry to move and cradle Paige up for the pin and, and the win. win. Solid shit. Look at that. That DD punch, DDP punch was so good, and he was pretty decent with the heel work. He had old Terry Taylor in there looking like the Red Rooster with his little red... Thing cut off. You're looking like Terry Taylor. Oh, there's a difference between Terry Taylor. I miss I miss Taylor made Taylor ta- Terry Taylor. I miss the found this. I miss the York Foundation. I yeah. love the York Foundation. Well, just, a lot of it had to do with uh, you know Miss Alexandria York. But what a good what a team of great talented wrestlers oh, that never really got that's what their singles is, do. Yeah, he actually got built up in that, and he left looking like a star, and he came back. It's just regular Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor. Yeah. Double T. We go to the stage, and Mean Gene is there with German announcer Ollie Muffler. Mm. Yeah, the fans don't really like the German guy. They don't really like Ollie. It's probably because he speaks in German for a moment, saying he is proud to be in front of American wrestling fans. And they tell us that this pay-per-view is being shown in Germany. Okay. They then hype up a European tour before Ollie asks Mean Gene if Flair can win. 
Okerlund just avoids the question. Yeah, all he wants to know if uh, he can beat Vader twice. Can anybody beat Vader twice? I guess we'll find out oh. soon enough. Mm-hmm. We get an ad for Spring Stampede. And Bobby Heenan is still daydreaming about a doll made of diamonds. <laughs> we then go to our fifth match. Johnny B. Bad versus Jimmy Garvin with Michael PSAs. And there, there's a grandma in the crowd that's really happy to see Johnny. And the man is cut. Mm-hmm. He's cut enthusiastic. I wear that same lipstick. <laughs> Michael PSA still is rolled out in his wheelchair, and he's sitting in it on the ramp. Yeah, just talking mad shit the whole time. Yes. It's pretty fun. The two men end up trading headlocks and arm bars for a while, with stalling from Garvin in between. The action finally starts picking up with Jimmy hitting some knees to the gut in the corner and goes for an Irish whip, which is reversed, followed by Johnny running into a big boot. Garvin slams Bad's head into multiple turnbuckles before applying a sleeper, and the Brain and Hayes have an entire conversation from across the ring from each other. Like, Hayes is on the ramp, yeah. Brain's at the announce booth on the other side of the ring, and like just start talking to each other. It was like... Yeah. It was a great moment. We, which leads to one of... My favorite, Bobby has so many great moments here. It's Bobby Heenan. But he says you can lead a horse to water, but it doesn't make him a duck. (laughs) Bobby Heenan's brain is, there's a reason he's the brain. His brain is big and beautiful and gorgeous. Johnny starts mounting a comeback, only to run into a knee to the gut. And Jimmy calls for the DDT. But bad back drops out of it. Delivers right hands before hitting a -a tilt-a-whirl head scissors. Garvin is then back body dropped but ducks the kiss that don't miss. So Johnny just delivers a big uppercut right hand. Bad heads up top, coming off with a flying sunset flip for the pin and And the the win. Post-match, Johnny looks to go after Hayes, but Jimmy comes flying in with a knee to the back and tosses him back into the ring. Hayes gives his cowboy boot to Garvin, who smashes it across Bad's back. Before he hits the nine one one, which is the Stone Cold Stunner. Right. Yeah, the very first showing of the Stunner on wrestling TV. Kind of fun. They start the show with an angle, give you a couple of matches, and they're like, "Okay, well, here's a payoff to the angle." Even though at the beginning I was like, "Okay, this is taking too long. Let's mm-hmm. get to a match," but it's still fun just because Johnny Bad is flamboyant and plays to the crowd and is a big old baby face and Michael P.S. Hayes yelling on the ramp is entertaining. So I read that the reason that Hayes wasn't in this match is his contract actually ran out. Ah. But he was at least nice enough to show up to the pay-per-view to complete the angle, basically. Hmm. Weird. And what's with Garvin? They're just like, oh. They just brought him in for the... He was cheap. Well, probably, he was probably he was probably cheaper than Hayes. Weird, huh? We go backstage. Mean Gene is in front of Vader's locker room now, and you can hear screaming and loud noises coming from the room. Oakland walks in, but Vader just throws a chair at the door, yelling, "No interviews!" <laughs> With old old Curly Harley at his side. <laughs> so we head off to our sixth match: the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Versus Lord Steven Regal with Sir William. With an umbrella. For the WCW World Television Championship. We haven't seen Arn 
since Fall Brawl 93, all the way back in episode 102. So, mm. so, yeah. This is his time off to heal from his... Uh, from the Sid stabbing? Yes. Oh my gosh. From from the last Euro trip? <laughs> oh my god. The, uh, yeah, I'm sure he probably was like, guys, do I have to go to Europe? <laughs> it just brings up some bad memories. But this one is 30 minute. Instead of the usual 15. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And Regal actually has his left leg all wrapped up. Yep, I love that Arn comes out to a big old pop, I guess, because we haven't seen him in a while. Also, he's Arn Anderson, and he deserves a big old pop. Uh, and I love his bomber jacket. It is very cool. We get Michael Buffer doing being the ring announcer, as he does for all the title matches of the show. Anderson and Regal lock up, and they but they break. And Steven complains about ear scratching to kill some time. Oh, what a butthole. Getting our USA chant, of course. They go into a test of strength with Regal getting fancy with a kip up. But Anderson just kicks the bad leg and goes to work on the arm. Only for Lord Steven to come back with some European uppercuts and a hammerlock. Double A counters with a hammerlock slam and begins to work the arm again, even wrapping it around the post several times, forcing Regal to roll out to regroup with Sir William. Yeah, I know. No leg work quite yet. He kicked it out, but he hasn't been going for it. Went to that arm. Back in the ring, Lord Steven grabs a cravat, which the Enforcer tries to escape with a body slam, only for Regal to keep hold. Arn finally does break loose with an elbow and a backdrop, and goes back to working the arm, before sending him to the corner hard with an Irish whip, and again rolls out to regroup. Fifteen minutes remain, as Anderson drags Regal back to the apron, wraps the arm around some ropes, only to get a thumb to the eye for Lord Steven to regain control. Regal with some European uppercuts to send Double A out to the apron, where Sir William joins the fray with a jab to the throat with his umbrella. That goddamn umbrella. Yeah, and this is where uh, he asks Tony, he's like, well, how did you hear what William and, and Regal were saying all the way over there? And this is where he fumbles over his words and says, Tony, I got here in like a like fucking field mouse. Because <laughs> he like fumbles with words and adds an F word. And I just, you don't hear a lot of hard F word. You don't. F words on the commentary table, but him like getting frustrated with himself fumbling, uh, so funny. I lost my shit. Like hell, you just had a conversation with Michael P.S. Hayes from <laughs> yeah, I know. Across the ring. yeah, no shit. Regal with some yurt. Lord Steven applies a half crab with ten minutes remaining and starts using the ropes for leverage until he is caught by the ref. Regal then drags the enforcer to the middle of the ring and locks on an STF and a crossface with Sir William grabbing his boot for leverage. Lord Stephen looks to hit a butterfly suplex, but Arm trips him up and starts going after the wrapped leg. Finally. Uh, well, I mean, he's the baby face. You gotta give him an excuse. Regal's gotta push his push his uh, daddy vibe buttons. And he did. Yeah, Arn gets, Arn's kind of like uh, Tomohiro Ishii, where like every hair that he loses, he becomes a little more daddy, as and like every gray gray whisker that Ishii grows, a little more, a little more of a hunky boy. Arn tries to apply a figure four, only for Regal to kick him off. Lord Stephen tosses Anderson out to the floor, where Sir William gives another umbrella shot, this time to the back of the head. Once Double A is back up, he trips up Regal and slams his hurt thigh into the ring apron, before getting back in the ring to work it over more with a reverse spinning toe hold. There we go. Lord Stephen is able to slip away and trips up the Enforcer, going back to a crossface as five minutes remain. After a hard Irish whip, the two men are 
starting to trade blows until a knuckle lock gets pin attempts for both men as two minutes remain. It's weird. We're having a real-ass wrestling match. I just love it when you watch a wrestling show and wrestling breaks out. It makes me remember why I like to watch wrestling. They don't get interrupted with stupid shit. It's a, it's a heel and a baby, and the baby's got an excuse for the stuff that he does. He took time before he went for the leg. Love it. Keep it clear. Regal tries to pounce down on Arn, only to be caught with a body scissors. But Lord Steven tries to turn it over into a Boston Crab, which Anderson just powers out of and locks on a sleeper. Lord Steven tries to escape, so Double A pushes him into the corner and cradles him up for the pin, and no, no. Regal kicks out. One minute remains as the Enforcer counters an ab stretch into another roll-up for a two-count. Lord Steven goes for the butterfly suplex, which Arn counters into a spine buster. <laughs> Sir William grabs Lord Steven's arm to drag him to the ropes as 30 seconds remain. Oh my gosh. So Double A diverts his attention to scare Sir William away. The Enforcer jumps back in the ring with a sunset flip, but Regal won't go down. When Sir William all of a sudden holds out his umbrella for Lord Stephen to hold on to, allowing him to drop down on Arn's shoulders for the pin and, and the win. win. I love just as he like he just as time runs down, he just sits on his chest, grabs the umbrella, steadies himself, and just drops his ass. Ah, good shit. Super smart. A bit. Way, way to make us think it was going to be the time limit draw mm-hmm. and yeah. pull out the win in the last second. It's it's wrestling. Tell me stories, and also sometimes you gotta throw uh, Arn Anderson into some glitter. You got confetti by the bad blaster when you got not thrown out to the outside. I miss Steven Regal actually being in the ring. Yeah, I mean he's an old old man, but yeah. we know it's it's all on tape, guys. Oh yeah, there's a reason he is where he, he just is. Teach some of these people today some. Good shit. I mean, he can still teach him that. But yeah, just I feel like the t- being in there with him would be great. With NXT, I think a lot of it is just the old guys not saying no, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. They're like, oh, okay, well, right. they, so they like just saying, just being like, hey, you got to do a little less of this and a little yeah. less of that. Stop slapping your thigh. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need. Oh, it's a shame that Bret Hart did, didn't like got. You know, the screw job happened, and Bret Hart's not where Shawn Michaels is now because Shawn Michaels was a piece of shit asshole and Bret Hart got fucked over and Bret Hart was supposed to have this big long contract that they didn't buy out they, and then he went to WCW no, fuck, nothing but he could be he would probably still be with the company mm-hmm. most likely teaching people how to wrestle and telling them to chill with the slaps Yep. Tony Schiavone then sends us to a video package and we see footage from Clash 26 where Cactus Jack hits the double arm DDT on Brian Nobbs. But the ref is distracted, so Jerry Sags drops an elbow to break it up. Then while the ref is distracted getting Sags out of the ring, Max Payne comes in with an elbow drop on Nobbs, letting Jack roll back on top for the pin in a non-title match versus the Nasty Boys, which sets up our seventh match. Cactus Jack and Max Payne Versus the Nasty Boys of Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. With no Missy. With no Missy. We are Hyattless. For the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Now you might have noticed 
during the clash footage, Missy was there. Mm-hmm. But she's no longer with the company. Yeah, well, I was thinking, I was like, well, I don't think we watched that clash, but I was trying to figure we out the Missy outfits. But I know, I mean, last time we saw the Nasty Boys, Missy was with them for the last at least two shows because the Nasty Boys have kind of started. She was with them at Starcade yeah. last, last time we saw her. And that was when her boot popped out. Um, no, we couldn't. We couldn't see it. You could see it at ringside, and there was a photographer at ringside <laughs> oh, who had taken gosh. a picture. What a yeah! And if you were to ask Missy why she was no longer with the company, she would say it was because she went over Eric Bischoff's head, who was the president at the time, to complain about a photo mm-hmm. of that moment hanging out. Like on the walls at the yeah, headquarters they, of WCW. They got copies of it and just like pasted it around, which is just not cool, man. Funny, but keep it to yourselves. If you definitely don't put it out on the wall. Let her hang that in her office. Yeah, it's like it sucks that some guy, you know, exploited it or whatever, but that's bound to happen. But it's really lame for your employer to get the dot matrix printer <laughs> and uh, make a poster of it. Just. Just to be fair to both sides, though, Bischoff did claim that she was fired for her behavior yeah. and jealousy over a new signing, oh. who we'll soon see. There would be a sexual harassment suit filed and finally resolved a few years later. It's wrestling. There's never any clear answers. Nope. Though that file, <laughs> that claim so, was... Was a real thing, it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, no, I just mean like whether between Missy and Bischoff, like who do you trust? Yeah, exactly. the one you can throw farther. I mean, probably, probably way about the same. So Nobbs, you might have noticed as he was coming out, he had an acoustic guitar with him. Mm. I wonder if that would come into play. I mean, yeah, I wonder if he borrowed it from Jerry Jarrett. I wonder if he thinks the rap is crap. <laughs> like it took me a second there. Where are we going with this? Nowhere, really. (laughs) So Payne starts us off with a German suplex on Knobs, which causes Brian to stumble out to the ramp. Sags comes in only to receive a belly-to-belly suplex as well. I'm like, was Payne the original human suplex machine? I love that Bobby Heenan allows us... He's like, well, Missy's getting her gums... A gum replacement, like, because... From the kiss that Cactus Jack gave her. Because he smooched her one. And maybe that's why she quit. She had to kiss the kiss the mouth of one Mick Foley. Brian tags back in and lands a couple forearms, but misses a clothesline, and Max takes him over with a Sambo suplex and a power slam on Jerry. Is Max Payne my new favorite wrestler? He's just going ham on these boys, throwing them around like they are Thanksgiving hams. <laughs> like, yeah, just like chucking them over his shoulders and stuff. It's wild. It's just like, where did this Max Payne come from? Yeah, was just, Cassie Jack was like, well, I'm not particularly strong, but this is how you do a suplex. And then Max Payne is like a foot taller than him and uh, can lift more. I fell from, you know, he's launching these feet last night. Can you do this move for me instead? Yeah, he's launching these nasty boys like they weigh like half their size. <laughs> it's crazy. Cactus Jack joins in on the fun with forearms and elbow drops on both the nasties. But a Pier 6 breaks out with the boys being sent to the floor. Back in the ring, Jack hits a back elbow and a kick to send Brian to straddling the apron. So Cactus Jack hits a leg drop to the back of the head. Max comes in with a face plant. But then the nasty boys hit a clothesline chop block combo to take him down. 
They continue the attack with headbutts and elbow drops to the gut before a double-team wishbone. Nobbs goes for a body slam, but pain is too heavy, allowing Max to reverse, which is followed by a leg drop only for Brian to move in time. Elbow drop and Nobbs goes for a second rope leg drop, which pain avoids and both teams make tags. Knee lift by Jack to Sags. Hits a body guillotine and a clothesline on Brian that sends them both over the ropes to the floor. Oh yeah, Cactus Jack has never clotheslined somebody on the ropes and not followed them out. It's just not his style. No. He's a yeah, perpetual motion machine. It'd probably look weird if he didn't. Yeah, I can't picture it in my head at all. I don't even know if the people would know how to land right if he wasn't... <laughs> if he wasn't there to break their fall. Yeah. <laughs> Cactus Jack goes to come off the apron with an elbow drop, but Jerry saves him with the forearm to the back. Nobs then peels the mat back as Sags runs Jack off the apron right onto the concrete. Ugh. Back splat. Not a good sound. As Cactus Jack is getting up, Brian slams his head into the guardrail and keeps kicking him to keep him from getting back in the ring. Do you love how um, he steps and breaks the neck of the guitar and like looks down and he's like, oh shit, <laughs> crack the neck. Once Jack returns to the ring, Nobs hits a body slam and the Nasty Boys take turns, putting Cactus Jack into a Boston Crab. And Jack is bleeding from the mouth. It uh, looks pretty gross. I don't know if he lost a tooth or he already is missing the teeth, but his mouth is bleeding pretty good. Payne runs in to drag Jack to the corner, but the ref is distracted and doesn't see the tag. Cactus Jack ducks a double clothesline, hits a double DDT on the boys, and crawls to the corner for the hot tag. tag. Max with clotheslines on both nasties. Overhead belly to belly to Nobs. Uh, Brian Nobs looks fucked up from that. A little bit. Body slam on Sags. Head butts to both. Pain then locks on the painkiller onto Brian. Uh, um, an arm bar. The ref is trying to get Jack out of the ring while Jerry grabs the guitar, nailing Max across the head with it multiple times ding, ding, for ding. the DQ. Yes, on that suplex, Nobs legitimately dislocated his shoulder. Yeah, it's disgusting. That. I looked at, watched it back like multiple times because I was like, I couldn't tell if it was an arm thing or a head thing or both, and I was like, he had to have broken his arm, a dislocation. Yeah, it's like something happened really bad. It looked really bad. And luckily, Max realized and put the painkiller on the other arm. Yeah, good on you, Max. You could have really ruined that guy's fucking life. Max teaching you a lot of things there, mm -hmm. old Maxie. I like that Max, uh, like, is out here a real suplex machine, yeeting guys across the ring, and then he does the painkiller. It's like we didn't we didn't come up with a new finish for the guy. Granted, whatever you gotta you gotta ease that in. But yeah, the nasties leave a heaping pile of. Ugly baby faces <laughs> uh, in the ring with Gold Cactus Jack looking about as rough as he ever has. We then go to the locker room, and Mean Gene is there, joined by Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. He hypes up the hotline again, telling everyone to give him a holler. Holla holla. Okerlinden says a lot of people are watching this match, including a man down in Clearwater, Florida. Oh, they go Hulk tease. A good friend of Mean Gene's. Of course, he's talking about Hulk Hogan, mm -hmm. who's not under contract yet. Yeah, they're the Terry Bollea. We all know it's happening. It's coming. Yeah, we're not going to sugarcoat it. Flair doesn't care if the Orange Goblin is watching because <laughs> tonight he has to deal with Vader, and then Steamboat if he wins. 
Ricky actually basically repeats his promo from earlier. Yeah. The red tape and everything. Ricky might be like one of my favorite wrestlers that doesn't ever even do like a a decent Ricky promo is... Not good. Yeah, is still like the end of week one of promo class. (laughs) Yeah, because Ricky says red tape again and I'm like, hey, you keep bringing up your wife. (laughs) Arn Anderson then comes in to give his old friends some words of encouragement as well. Yeah, and also talks about the violence of the show. Been uh, that last that, that last match. I mean, pretty violent. Yeah. We then go to our eighth match: Ravishing Rick Rude, Stunning Steve Austin. I'm drooling. And Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff. I need a spit cup. With Colonel Robert Parker, versus Sting, the Natural Dustin Rhodes, and Flying Brian Pillman. In a thunder cage match. Look at all the meat on this. Like, there is arguably six of, like, five of the most talented guys in wrestling in the United States at this point in time and Sting. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. We all love Sting, and Sting is good, but he is not Dustin Rhodes. Flying Brian, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, or Paul Warndorf. Sorry, Steve. He's got charisma, but he never even came up with his own yell. He, he says, like, whoa, instead of woo. We haven't seen Pillman since Beach Blast 93, back in episode 95. It's a long injury there, buddy. I mean, yeah, I don't know. What did he, maybe he was just was waiting for a contract. Yeah, it was a knee okay. injury of some sort. So the Thunderdome cage lowers to ringside. It's the Havoc cage. Pyro, it's lowered. It's basically the Hell in a Cell type thing with no roof. Yeah, but it has like the curved in. Um, So it's not like, you can't really, crawling out would be difficult because you have to like, you know, go Spider-Man on it for a second. And they had to remove part of the ramp. So it could encompass the entire ringside. Yeah. So like, they like walk down the ramp, and some of them like jump up onto the cage to like crawl down the cage to the floor to get to the door. Kind of a fun visual, a little uh, like platformy video game vibe. So Rude and Sting started off with a stinger hitting a back body drop and several clotheslines, only for the ravishing one to roll to the apron to slow the momentum. The heels start working Sting's arm until the Stinger shoves off an Austin armbar and they start running the ropes only for stunning Steve to have a leg injury. Oh no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's already huge and hot because obviously you have everybody knows and loves these guys. We've got our Paula chance. Sting immediately like Sting's like, oh no, I won't rude. So then he mocks rude to get him in there. Like Everyone's salivating here. But Sting just does not care. He applies the Scorpion Deathlock, but he has to duck a Mr. Wonderful clothesline, which allows Austin to cradle the Stinger up for a two-count. Stunning Steve drags Sting out to the floor, only to be tossed into the cage by the Stinger. Pillman even joins in the fun with a chop across the chest. Back in the ring, Flying Brian is tossed to the outside, with Stunning Steve following out. But after a few chops, Austin starts running around ringside, until Pillman runs right into a hot shot into the cage. I smell a blade. A blade? You guys smell a blade? Orndorff comes over and throws Flying Brian into the cage, which busts him open. 
I don't know what I don't know what this blading thing. I, I smell the metallic scent of iron. Pillman is rolled back into the ring for Rude to work him over, letting him get close enough to the corner for a tag to tease his partners. Mr. Wonderful then comes in, only to run into a knee in the corner, followed by Flying Brian charging out with the clothesline, but Orndorff blocks and hits a back suplex. The Ravishing One comes in with a flying knee drop for a near fall. Austin with a second rope elbow drop and makes the cover, but Sting makes the save. Stunning Steve goes for a second rope elbow drop again, but Pillman catches him with a drop kick this time, <sighs> allowing him to crawl to the corner for the hot tag. What a Pillman and Austin forever. I'm trying to remember if they actually go into the storyline of why why are they on opposing sides? I don't like it. They broke up before this, but they didn't actually fight. Fight. They no. Just, yeah. Pillman left with an injury, so. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if there was actual storyline that went with it of why they didn't just merge back together. Maybe it was one of those stupid things of you didn't call me when I was hurt or <laughs> something. I don't know. I feel like that they... Matt, do you remember? We don't ever see it. I think something plays out on the, yeah. on like worldwide. I feel like it's like just like a pretty like run-of-the-mill kind of excuse to break them up. Nothing, nothing like fancy or as good as it... Could I mean I, they probably just did Pillman was mad at was mad at Austin for losing the tag belts while he was injured, but <laughs> technically that would have probably made Pillman the heel. So I don't know exactly. what Yeah, they, did. they just chose by and large to ignore it. I guess. Yeah. Probably has to do with the old Colonel Robert Parker. Oh yeah, why not? After the hot tag, stings in with right hands, clothesline to Orndorff. Clothesline on Rude, another clothesline on Mr. Wonderful to send them all out to the floor. The Stinger sends Orndorff into the cage to bust him open before rolling back in. Sting is having a blast with all of these cheers. Dustin comes in with the flip-flop fly on Mr. Wonderful, bionic elbow to Austin, snapmare and elbow drop on Orndorff before Paul just yanks Rhodes into the corner to daze him. The Ravishing One tags in and goes for a turnbuckle smash, but the natural blocks and reverses for one of his own, followed by a bulldog attempt, <sighs> only Pop for Rude to counter, dropping Dustin onto the top turnbuckle. Boom. The Ravishing One hits a back superplex, following up with a bear hug, but when Rude starts to fire up, Rude just counters with a belly-to-belly suplex. Stunning Steve tries to throw the natural to the floor, but Dustin avoids nailing Austin to send him to the apron, followed by a dropkick descending into the cage where Steve gets caught up by his leg. Fucking yes, he just launches his leg through that hole. He could have, like, if he went at that force and, like, didn't get it through, probably could have been bad. I don't know. It looks really good. Actually, I I think he probably would have been safer if he had just gone head first into the cage. Yeah. Him go, do, do, doing... Him doing the leg almost felt like he may have actually hurt himself. Yeah, like yeah, I feel like there's a much bigger room for error. The man has uh, every wrestler has taken bumps into cages, steel turnbuckles that there's they know how to do that. You can't really plan for putting your leg in between an unforgiving piece of metal. Steve, especially like four or five feet off the ground. If you could just see a few years into the future, how fucked up your knees are. I know. Be. Mr. Wonderful jumps in the ring to brawl with Rhodes while Austin recovers. But once back in, Rhodes hits a leaping back elbow off of an Irish whip. 
Pillman's tagged in, and he goes nuts on Stunning Steve with chops and a back body drop. Delivers a double drop kick to his opponents on the apron. And it's one foot for each. That kind of double drop kick. I love it. A heel for each heel. Everybody jumps in the ring for a Pier 6 brawl until there is just Sting, Flying Brian, and Austin left in the ring. Stunning Steve ducks a double clothesline, only to run into a double back body drop, followed by Sting press-slamming Pillman on top of Austin (laughs) for the pin and the win. Post-match, more brawling on the outside, and the cage doors open, and Rude starts to back his way out. But as the stinger follows, the ravishing one slams the door in his face before hitting a rude awakening on the floor. I mean, did you guys... We expected... We expect the best of these six men. These are some of our six favorite guys. But normally when you see a lineup like that in a WCW show for one match, it always... Something always goes awry. Yeah, I was expecting some sort of a funky finish on it. This was great. It was yeah. so much energy. Everybody got their spot to shine. Like it was just, it was electric from like the minute everybody entered the cage to the minute Rick Rude awakened yeah. the stinger. Uh, I love this match and could not believe how right they did it because they've done it wrong so many times over and over again. No outside interference. No stupid hokey finish with somebody. Yeah. Tapping out after three seconds of a bear hug. Nobody looked like shit. Everybody just looked awesome, and everybody did awesome shit to each other. I mean... The finish made sense? Technically, the... I mean, Dustin really didn't do a whole lot in the match, but he still got his flip-flop fly in the... Yeah, and he's... attempt on it, so... Yeah, and he still got his, uh, you know, elbow, and he's got plenty of... Plenty of a pop. Everybody got a deserving... The love they deserve. Yeah. So good. I mean, Austin... Rude and Paul Orndorff on one side of the ring is just a dream. Shivani then sends us to another video package, and we get more footage from Clash 26, where Flair was hit with a superplex from Vader, and he sells it like death. Oh, yeah. You know, the plane crash. We gotta always bring up that plane crash, that back. And then we see Sting and Rude, I guess it was a tag match with Sting and Flair together versus Rude and Vader. And they're fighting as the Nature Boy is being helped to the back. On WCW Saturday night, a few days later after that, Nick Bockwinkle would make the announcement that Nate is not 100% and will be postponing the world title match. Vader interrupts the press conference, mad that he's not getting his title chance. Now the next week, on another episode of Saturday Night, Steamboat's in a match when Harley Race would jump in the ring and take a crossbody from the dragon. Vader would then come in and they work over Ricky with the stiff shots. Flair would then join Tony and Nick Bockwinkle on the phone saying he wants the match at Super Brawl 4. You know how bad he his wants it. friend was hurt. He wants it so bad. He'll pay the fines. You hurt my friend. I'll, I'll pay the fines. I'm coming in. I'm Yeah. Can't do the boat like that. And Bockwinkle says that the Nature Boy can get a doctor's note. You know, he loves a doctor's note. He's like uh, a manager that um, is, is sick of doctor's is, is, note. Yeah, is, yeah, is sick of everybody. So he's like, if you're not going to come in, I need a doctor's note. No excuses. I've had enough. In there. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah. Oh, you don't want to come to work for an hour and a half? Cool. 50 bucks. Go get it me a doctor's note. Another week later, another Saturday night episode, and Bachwinkle says that Nate has supplied all of the requirements needed for the match to be reinstated. But he has also added a special guest enforcer to the match. Well. The boss. He's a boss, man. <laughs> so our ninth match, Vader with Harley Race versus the Nature Boy for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in a Thunder Cage match with the boss as the special guest referee. And when Boss's music hit, did you think Scott Steiner was coming out? <laughs> I didn't even recognize the music, to be honest. I mean, it was just sirens. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just Wah. like, it, yeah. the first couple notes sounded exactly like Steiner's late, yeah. late 90s music. That's uh, funny. Vader brings a chair into the cage with him. You know what Vader walks out with, though? His White Castle of Fear cape. It's like, oh, it's been a while since we saw that thing. He must have found it at the, at the bottom of his suitcase. I think he had it at the last Super Bowl was the last time I remember seeing him wear it. Yeah. I think that was the White Castle of Fear. Though, so I always miss the, uh, the skull. Uh, the, the smoking the, skull. This, yeah, like, yeah, it's so good. I'm, it's How could you never just use that forever? Yeah, I mean, it just adds ambiance. What could have been? Uh-huh. As if Vader what, didn't need to look any more badass. Look what a smoking urn did for The Undertaker and how long he kept that thing. <laughs> Michael Buffer, as our ring announcer, says those magic words, and we are ready to start the match. What's up with this, like, hottie cam? It's like, that was like, they just have, like, a couple of honeys standing around the ring every once in a while, and then they just get the camera on them. It, it, was, seems, a ring, it was a ring girl. Yeah, just, I guess there's ring girls. They just don't really show them, ever. except for, like, standing there, and you're like, oh, like, these are two really pretty girls that yeah. are not part of the crowd. for the... You know, how the, the shows now have everything happening on the Titan Tron during yeah, you know, yeah. commercial breaks and whatnot. In yeah. between, they got the t-shirt gun. Yeah. Back then, you had just the the hottie girls walking around there yeah. with a, a little sign saying, you know, Ric Flair up next. Or yeah, match six. Or I guess this is nine. Never mind. It's technically eight. Because the first match didn't really happen until it was the fifth match. True. <laughs> So the boss goes to lock the door with Harley yelling that he doesn't need to do that. But they finally get it shut, and the boss puts the key on a chain around his neck. Ooh. Vader charges in at Flair, only for the Nature Boy to avoid, allowing him to lay it in on Vader with right hands, eye rakes, and a back elbow to send the big man over to the floor. Uh, if I was going against Vader, eye rakes all day. Mm-hmm. Gotta gouge those out. Anything that can help me miss his stiff shots. Those Vader shoot shoot forearms. Nate follows out and hits Vader with multiple chair shots across the head. And back in the ring, Rick Irish whips Vader where he does a flare flip out onto the apron, but nails the nature boy when he charges in, followed by a body slam and a Vader bomb. I love when Flair gets caught on, on his little flop, little flip. Short arm clothesline, and Vader heads up top, coming off with a Vader salt. You mean a, a, vade, a vade maker? But he lands on his feet when Flair moves, so he hits an avalanche splash before tossing Nate to the floor. 
Grace is there, and he begins to choke Flair, while Vader and the boss have words in the ring. Vader's out to the floor, delivering stiff shots and a knee to the forehead, before Harley hits a left hand to help out again. Back in the ring, more stiff shots from Vader, but the Nature Boy fights back, even resorting to chokes and biting the big man. Vader then comes off the top rope with an avalanche splash, but Nate moves, sending the big man into Harley. Take that, Mr. Race. The boss comes out to... The boss comes out to finally do something about Harley Race. He's like, hey, he's, the... he kept letting Harley Race get shit in. It's like, boss man, you're here for a reason, sir. So the boss tries to handcuff Race to stop his interfering. Mm-hmm. But Vader just nails him from behind, grabs the handcuffs away, and handcuffs Boss to the cage instead. Whew. Race gets the key, and a two-on-one results. After Harley makes it into the cage, he locks it back. Mm-hmm. And Arn Anderson and Steamboat hit the ringside, but they can't get into the cage. No, they're trying to free the boss man to at least give Rick a, a helping hand. Just ignore that boss man. It sucks. The nature boy grabs the chair inside the ring and begins to use it on both Race and Vader. And then back in the ring, Nature's concentrating on Harley, which allows Vader to clothesline him from behind. All of a sudden, the boss is able to break free from the handcuffs, running back into boss. the ring to attack Vader, delivering shots with his nightstick. Flair tosses Harley from the ring and locks on the figure four, and the boss immediately calls for the bell. Post-match. <laughs> the boss nails race with the nightstick, followed by the lock being cut off by Doug Dillinger. And Vader heads towards Tony and Bobby to start yelling at them. Watch out there, Tony. Yeah, like, he gets it on and then calls it. It's like, yeah, and they're like, oh, I didn't hear him give up. It's like, because he didn't. The boss is just mad that they locked him up. Yeah. So I'm screwing you over, Vader. Yeah. Shivani and the Brain recap the match before well, saying their goodbyes. But Vader's freaking out on Bobby and Tony. And Bobby sells the fear of Vader. And it's Oscar-worthy. I really like that a lot. He's just, like, shaken as, as they say their goodbyes. And we get credits. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Super Brawl 4? For me, I... The first half of it, I didn't really care for. And I could easily have not watched it and been okay about it. Because there wasn't really anything... To remember from it, I mean, you the had... first half of this of this show is basically an extended episode of Worldwide. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but a good episode. You have a team of Thunder and Lightning I that nobody's agree. ever heard of. You've got the Equalizer versus Jungle Jim that doesn't need to be on a pay per view. We're uh, trying to gym it up. We're trying to get Jim over. Jim in, Equalizer out. I mean, if you Some watch that first, if you watch the long. if yeah. you watch the first half and it was on a Worldwide, it would be an entertaining. Oh yeah, episode yeah. on yeah. regular TV. I'd totally expect it, but... It's definitely not pay-per-view quality. No, we can no, all agree with that. Nothing with a, the word super in the front of it. Um, <laughs> those first few matches, like the DDP match, way longer than it needed to be. It was good, though. It was... It was. I'm not saying it was bad, yeah. it was just too long. Even the Jim... Or the Jimmy Garvin, Johnny B. Bad, you know, I like what they did with the story, but it just seemed like it felt too long, and then you jumped into the, the Arn versus Regal, which I loved, and it was longer than normal TV title matches, but I was okay with that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, the, the first half was 
too long and unnecessary, and then the end was just wild, crazy, holy shit, bang, bang, boom. It was a uh, spectacle. The uh, I think it was a good show. The production with WCW, this was like a noticeable, just felt like a better and cleaner production. A bit too much of Harley Race. They went to that well like one too many times in the last match. I feel like if they did the two instead of three before Bossman did anything about it, yeah. then that would be. Well, then the match would be basically perfect for what it was. Because like this, like this, that's like you understand why Bossman called it. It's not we don't we want a clean match, but I get it. I see what you did. You set it up. But yeah, I mean, I like this show a lot. Even the bad matches, or like the matches that, like you said, not the kind of th- nothing, nothing that's gonna entice me if I were to look at this card and was thinking about buying tickets. But they weren't uh, abysmal. No, not abysmal. Just some a little unnecessary. Yeah. The second half of the show, starting with Arn and Regal to the main event. Fire. They're all fantastic. Oh, yeah. Tons of storytelling and setups for future future. And clean storytelling, which is another thing. It's like, oh, I feel like the show is timed well production-wise and everything. Well, there's a certain change of Booker. Yeah, that that's what I was going to ask. Who is it? Because it's obvious that it's a whole new that's thing. It's no longer Dusty. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, obvious that it's... I don't even didn't even realize that it let's was Let's just say Dusty. they're all flare finishes. Yeah, well, it fucking shows. It's all crispy. Like, everything makes sense, and you understand everything that happened and why. Yeah, Whether you like the, it or not, it makes sense. dusty-ish finish is the main event, and it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah he's, like, and boss man's okay pissed. It because the matches before didn't have that shit in it to where... Exactly. Yeah, it was like, they didn't... It's like, again, really? God. Yeah, it, they didn't go to the well. It's not like everybody booked their own match. It's a. It was a wrestling show, and it feels like WCW. You'll get like a wrestling show, and then like a what are we doing here, and then maybe like okay, well that was all right, and then what are we doing here, and then a wrestling show, and this was fucking wrestling show. Like you got your money worth if you got this pay per view or you paid to go to the arena. I feel like that you got your buck worth. The first hour, I think it's about. I don't know exactly when that the Arn match starts. I. I would say it's probably around it's, like the hour and fifteen minute mark. You, you the show's so? two. The show's two hours and forty minutes or so long. Literally, started at about that point and watched the rest of it. Yep, that's. Yeah, I will give a back it oh. up to the Jimmy Garvin one just so you can see the first ever televised stunner. I'll give a thun- thumbs up to Harlem Heat looking more cohesive as a team, and I'll give. A thumbs up to the idea of that, but as far as like necessary yeah. watches, yeah, yeah, for sure. The last four matches are—they're um, definitely yeah, they're they are canonical. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So, what are some of the best moments of the show? All of match seven. <laughs> Is that match seven or match eight? Well, Arm technically, or... technically. Your match seven or my match seven? I mean, I don't know. I'm looking at the card on the internet, and it's uh, called it seven, but the six-man Thunder Cage. Like, I love the Ric Flair-Vader match as well, but there's something just so electric, and they don't waste any time. It's 14 minutes of go, go, go. Like, and you see see all, your, all the guys, all the guys you like. I don't trust anybody that's like, oh, 
I don't. I'm, I think that uh, Paul Orndorff's overrated. I'm like, no, I would argue that he may be underrated. I mean, I think at this point he's underrated. Yeah, for sure. Of who? Orndorff. Orndorff, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, he's just kind of seen as the, the he, old guy. He's been around for like, yeah, forever at this point, and he's been killing it for the last like five pay per views. Every time he shows up, we're like, God damn, Paul Orndorff looks good and is. He's got it all. He's got the the facials, the He's just healing it up in, like, what you want out of a heel. He's, he's great. And I love him. Best moments for me. I got to throw Bobby up there. The return of Bobby Heenan to the uh, yes, the commentary. Absolutely. It's, it's been the Tony, very missed. Tony Heenan combo. Really cool. hitting better than I thought. Uh, and I can only imagine that it'll get better. It's like two old pros that... Didn't know they belonged together. And I love when Tony's good. It's like, oh, this is good Tony. Yeah. When Tony cares, you can actually tell. When yeah. he doesn't, he's having a fun time. He's next he to Bobby the Brain Heenan. If he's not having a good time, that's a yeah, that's crazy. There is no and he was also working with Jesse, which was also great. So it's just, I feel like we're we're WCW is firing on some cylinders, starting to I feel like it's revving up, and I'm scared of. The orange goblin, well, the mean, skirted eggshell, the the choo choo is going full speed ahead, and someone may pull the the emergency. Ugh, the yeah. here soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Payne for me. Mm-hmm. Max like, Payne's uh, fucking like ye- Heat City, <laughs> launching guys to Kingdom launching, Come. Launching, the yeah. Nasty I mean, he almost ruined. It was it. It was Brian Nobbs. Yeah, almost yeah. ruined Brian Nobbs' fucking career. Almost broke his neck. Luckily, it was only his shoulder, which is still awful. Never won another tag team championship again. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Seriously though, it's like Max Payne went to suplex class. Yes. And got a fucking like and got like a, a solid A. How about most disappointing? Uh, jumping Jim Steel, Jungle Jim Steel, and uh, just being a thing, and Equalizer still being a thing is my most disappointing. Yeah, Jungle Jim. Jungle Jim still a, a, a step up from uh, Chucky Norris. Thunder and Lightning at least got... Uh, I think for me, just most disappointing is there's too many matches that just didn't need to be on the show. Well, I mean, I think that a lot of that is because of our six-man. Because those are the guys that would be filling that space. But instead, we got the six-man. And I think the six-man may have been worth it because it was kind of a blast. Yeah. It didn't really... Yeah. Hayes and, and Johnny would probably have been good. But, you know, they let Hayes' contract run out. Yeah, I... Aside from Harlem Heat looking good, I can't find anything positive to say about the Thunder and Lightning match. Yeah. I have no complaints about this show. I don't either. I think it's I think that the like the jumping gym, but it's like when I was watching Jumpin' Jim, I was like, at least it's not Charlie Norris. Is all I could think. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not that mad and it was short. Exactly. I, I was And it wasn't poorly worked and it wasn't stupid. I get the, the matches at the beginning. Should have pro- never been on a pay per view. But I know why because I watched Match Seven. But I was entertained. That's how I, I felt about it. it. Yeah. So I couldn't complain about it. Yeah. I I never sit down and do notes like in one run, just straight through. Yeah. I did it on this show. Yeah, this was a show I watched straight through. Depends on like uh, time kind of thing. Sometimes I'll do like one and a half show. Sometimes I'll do half a show. Depends on how my week's going, but. Some shows, I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to go to sleep an hour later because I'm going to finish this. How about best performer of the night? 
Mine's Max Payne, guys. I'm, I'm just, that's nice of you. He, he's in my top ten favorite wrestlers of all time. Oh now. my gosh, that's so crazy. I'm just kidding. Um, not really. I know. I mean, every, but he's at least on my yeah. top ten of this show. <laughs> Understandable. So it goes like Vader, Flair, the Six Man, Max Payne. Payne. Yeah. You, you, you skipped over Tommy Dreamer. Or Taz, or wait, oh, it's his favorite. We said he said his favorite to this show. Oh, this show, yeah, yeah. yeah. My bad. <laughs> it's hard. There's a lot of great performances, but like Ric Flair and Vader Flying tore it Brian down. Showing back up for the first time when Flying Brian wipes the blood off his face and like fires up. Whew, got chills. Yeah, stunning yeah. Steve's leg going through like. The six man guy, like the six man yeah, match, all those guys that. like are like on the same level. They were all firing on, on the like they were all locked in lockstep with that whole match. They didn't have to have a shock master on their team or whatever. <laughs> or a road warrior. How about most surprising? I mean, come on, guys. You know it's Max Payne. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess it was. You, you, were, I, not, you like, were not expecting that out of Max Payne. I really no. wasn't. I was expecting uh, like clotheslines and painkiller attempts. Cactus Jack to take all three took, million. He, he took a back splat, but I mean oh, the nasties yeah. get the bump award for having to take all the crap from Payne. Yeah. The Diamond Doll wasn't yeah. Kimberly. Oh yeah. I was kind of disappointed. I'm not. I'm okay with it. Kimberly was hotter. So. Yeah, Kimberly is hotter. She's much hotter. No, no disrespect to um, our slick back diamond doll straight out of the, uh, out of a the Robert Palmer video. Yeah. <laughs> Making their way to the ring. It's trivia time. Oh my god! Can I get another five points? It's possible. Bunkhouse stampede. That was last. No, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> this week the category is the champ is here. The champ is here. So I will give you a show and a championship. You have to tell me who the champion was at the end of that show. Jeez. And I want to reiterate that sometimes the championship was not defended on that show. Okay. Okay. So five points that for might be a hint. Five <laughs> Foreshadowing. For a correct answer. Three points if we go to multiple choice. At the end of main event two, who was the WWF tag team champions? Main event two. Oh my gosh. It was so long ago. Oh. It was right after main event one. <laughs> I gotta think when the hell main event two happened. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the year. Is it 89? Is that the year? You probably don't want to help me. I'm gonna I'm gonna go wild. And let Shane get some points. Uh-uh. And assume that it's 89 and say the Brain Busters. The Brain Busters is incorrect. I figured it was. They did have the championship for their... They had like six months in WWF. Brain Busters World Tour. Does Shane take a stab in the dark or does he go to multiple choice? I mean, either way, he's got me on the ropes. And I don't know that I'll ever allow it to be a clean break. That's what I'm trying to remember. Also, I don't know if I have a choice. He's so far ahead. Main event one. Was that when the Mega Powers exploded? Or was that... Oh, this is tough. Fuck it, this could go to multiple choice. Your options on multiple choice are... The Brain Busters. (laughs) 
Colossal Connection, Demolition, or Strike Force? Oh, one of those was going to be my answer before I said the Busters. But I won't say which one it was because it's probably wrong. And why would I want to give Shane the wrong answer? So we have the Brain Busters. Not the Brain Busters. Force, say the Brain Busters. <laughs> and Colossal Connection. Two of those teams lasted probably about the same amount of time. I guess three of them. <laughs> Screw it. We're going Demolition. Demolition is correct. Oh! I'm the X. Something when, a smash. What year was that? I can't remember what year it was. It was 89. Okay. Walking disasters. So our scores are now flat. So our scores as of now are Shane, 53. Ooh. Temple, 36. Ooh. Little 17. I was hoping that maybe then. I was at 40 or something, but I'm not. Not quite. But you're not 21 behind or whatever it was <laughs> like you were before. Now you're only 17. Yeah. Inching. I'm an incher. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Next week, WrestleMania 10. Headed to Madison Square Garden. Woo-hoo. Oh my God. New York City. New York City. Get a rope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited for I mean, this 10th one. They're going to go all out, right? I sure hope so. I mean, you know, you're going to have to wait with bated breath yeah. next week when you get to hear it, guys. Is WrestleMania 10 good? We'll tell you. (laughs) We'll let you know how we feel about it. Spoiler alert, you're going to blank yourself. Oh my gosh. Music from this week's show is Rocket by Tom Blades. And Ric Flair won our main event. So we play Spotch Zarathustra by Strauss. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. You can always email us any questions, comments, concerns, or recipes. Recipes. We're going to New York. New York is tough because yeah. there's lots of stuff in New York. So also, like a PDF of Philadelphia ideas, always good to know. Yeah. Please. And you can do that at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com. Or you can always find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. X. We'll talk to you next week. Later. Thank you.